Hello, I'm Elena DelVal, and this is the HispanicNPR.com podcast. My guest today is Tony Hero, who is Vice President of Cross-Platform Insights at Nielsen. We will discuss podcast insights. In his job, Tony strives to demonstrate the impact that audio has on media investment, marketing execution, and sales outcomes. He has over 20 years of experience in the buying and selling of media, championed the radio reach story via the Total Audience Report, and most recently developed a measurement service for the podcasting industry. Tony, welcome. Hello. Let's start with a picture of podcasting. When we talk about podcast insights, what are we referring to specifically? Well, the focus here at Nielsen has been around monetization of podcasts. There's millions of great podcasts out there. And the real question is, how do people make money with podcasting? And we've been endeavoring for a number of years to come up with a great measurement solution for podcasting. And it's not as easy as one might think. Um, people are measuring their their uh, podcast's popularity by the number of downloads, but that's not really what's going to get an advertiser to spend a significant portion of their ad budget on a podcast. They need more information. That's why we've come up with some of the um, data that we've published in our recent report, all based on podcast buying power. It gives us a sense for who is listening and what they're buying and how that fits into the advertising ecosystem. And for purposes of our conversation and the report itself, how do you define a podcast? Um, It is a pretty broad definition, so I'm glad you asked. So we really do not care how people consume podcast content. It could be done through Apple iTunes. It could be done through Spotify. It could even be streamed through YouTube. Um, We're really focusing on... Um, the the content that is typically known as a podcast, but even though it doesn't it's hardly listen to on an iPod, which is where it originated, it's really grown beyond its borders. Is there a place of origin or a duration or any other limiting factor for purposes of the definition? Uh, the way it works is uh, we have a, a sample of over 200,000 kind of Nielsen families, uh, respondents in our national survey, and we ask them, "Do you have you listened to a podcast in the past 30 days? And if they say yes to that question, we go back and ask them additional questions about their podcast listening behavior. So we ask them what device they listen on, how often they listen, where they listen, is it at work or at home, uh, we even asked them about specific podcasts that they're into and even just genres of podcasts that they're interested in. So it really, it, you kind of have to opt into the question and then we kind of dive deep. One of the formats that I've been hearing more and more about lately is this idea of a fiction program or fictionalized But it's more than reading of a book. It's actors and voices and sounds. Are you including that in the definition of podcasts? You know, it's funny you bring that up. I was just thinking of the Ron Burgundy podcast from iHeart's over the weekend. And it was a very uh, popular podcast. Um, And it was just one of those light bulb moments where someone was like, we could take a fictional character from a movie and, you know, Will Ferrell just basically voiced the uh, the same character he had in that film and made a podcast out of it. It was one of those just um, kind of cross-platform ideas that really um, caught on. So in a way, you could consider that a fiction podcast. It just so happens to be categorized as, as comedy. That's what Will Ferrell's so good at. But think about it. That is a fictional podcast that someone is tuning into, um, and it's hilarious. So that's what's so great about podcasting. It, it's, it can kind of span those kind of hard borders that we have of what is the definition of fiction. Clearly, it's, it's going in another direction with podcasting. The original definition, let's say, of podcast has expanded beyond the idea, as you were saying, beyond 
the device in which it was born, right? Indeed. Oh, Are, I'm so, <laughs> I, I think that's my point is that um, just how you could go from listening to a podcast where you have to download it into uh, a device – now, you know, podcasts are being streamed, and they're not even a pod. I mean, they're a stream, but we still call them podcasts. Same thing with the genres. Uh, they can kind of spill into one another. So there really aren't a lot of rules yet in podcasting. It's still so new. Similar, perhaps, in many ways to what has been happening with social media platforms where the rules are not the same rules that existed in traditional media, where there are people who are promoting and don't always disclose that, even though it's supposed to be upfront. Many people are promoting their products or other products and not necessarily disclosing. Are you seeing a lot of that in your studies, a lot of promotional podcasts? Well, you know, that's funny. Um, the... The connection that you just made with social media, um, it's actually really a, a great benefit for advertisers when it comes to podcasting. So let me explain. I think you were saying that sometimes the line is blurred between whether something is a promoted product or, or placement on social media versus an ad. And uh, podcasting um, is a, a little less um, – what's the word? Um, dangerous uh, of an environment. But the same thing happens. So, for example, um, people hear an ad in a podcast that is read by a host, and sometimes they, it's like an endorsement. Like there's some sort of transference from the credibility that, that that host of the podcast has. And when it's applied to the ad, the live read ad that they're going to do in the podcast, it has a tremendous effect We've seen scores that we track in different surveys of, you know, 10, 15% higher uh, engagement with the ad um, versus the typical response that people have to those brands in a typical advertisement. So the, um, the nature of it being embedded within a podcast is really beneficial. And now these podcast hosts are literally reading a script that is created, you know, copy that is wrote by an advertiser. Um, it could be for a razor. It could be for uh, a computer. Um, it, it could be for a soft drink. Um, but because it's within a podcast, it's treated differently than if it were a traditional 30 or 60 second ad that someone would see or hear. Um, it, it has this halo effect and advertisers are really opening up to that and saying that, hey, that's worth a premium. And they want to be involved in that. Now, that idea of the host reading the ad on air, as it were, that harkens back to the era of radio. When radio was king and even post the golden years, it was very common, still is, for the host or when you have someone that is uh, hosting a program to insert within the editorial part of the program a, a promotion in which he or she reads what is essentially an ad. So is this something that has transferred from radio into – and we see this on television as well, and many programs have product placement and sometimes audio and visual placement. Do you think that this is something that has transferred from those – yeah, from a historical perspective, you know, you think back to soap operas. You know, those were things on television that were sponsored by soap companies. Um, so, in a way, we are still in the early stages of podcasting. But if you take it back a step, podcasting was largely supported by direct response advertisers. And those were, um, you know, the My Pillows and, um, you know, Me on these <laughs> types of dot com type of businesses that. We're on board initially, but what's happened uh, in the last couple of years is that major brands are getting involved in podcasting, and they require you know a lot more metrics than how many people came to their website. Um, if you are selling um, something like um, the new Audi uh, model, that is not something you would buy on a website. They monetize their audience by getting people to come and uh, buy their cars in person. So. 
that's just um, it's just growing in a different direction. But when it comes to um, the engagement that people have with those ads, one thing that we found that's really interesting um, in the survey that we do, we ask a question about what actions have people taken after hearing a podcast advertisement? So that could be, uh, you know, a, a pre-roll ad that's totally canned and, and written by an advertiser, or it could be a live read. It, it doesn't matter, a live read by the podcast host. So we asked um, these questions like, have you visited a website? Have you gone to a retail location? Have you made a phone call? Like, what actions have you taken? And what we found is if we bucket the people who are podcast listeners into two groups, the light listeners and the heavy listeners. So a light listener might be somebody who listens like two or three times a week, I'm sorry, two or three times a month to a podcast. So infrequent. The heavy podcast listener listens like um, just about every day to a podcast, like, uh, you know, five or more times a week. And what we have found is that the scores for ad engagement were higher among the heavy podcast users. This is like the opposite of what one would think, is that somebody who is exposed to more advertising uh, in podcasting, you'd think they'd be more jaded. They would be less likely to respond, whereas the newbies in podcasting would be the ones who might be you know, open to responding because they're probably hearing an ad for the first time in this medium. Well, it's not the case. Like I said, it's that halo effect that podcast advertising has, and it, it develops a trust with the listener. And they find that um, an advertiser that is allowed to kind of enter that inner circle has even greater response from those heavy listeners. It's really kind of the opposite of what we've seen in other media. Is it, do you think, in part because you also found a growing diversity in the audience that is listening to audio content. Yeah, there's some truth to that, too. Um, one of the questions that we asked, like I said, is have you visited a retail location uh, after hearing an ad? Um, we saw higher scores among black and Hispanic listeners for that uh, versus the all podcast listeners on average. Same thing with um, making a purchase at a retail location. The black and Hispanic podcast listener is more likely to do that or even calling a phone number. So some of those traditional things that we do in advertising on broadcast, um, the same type of tactics work, and they're even more effective with black and Hispanic podcast listeners. Tell us a little bit more about the families that respond to your surveys. So we do uh, a survey uh, of adults 18 plus across the country, and we ask them to um, fill out a booklet of all of the things that, that they do. So these are questions around lifestyle, uh, activities, products and services that they buy, uh, media consumption. Um, it's, just, it's just a very broad survey, and it's, uh, it's a service we call Scarborough. It's been around for decades and it has a lot of trust among um, ad agencies across the country, and it's available in 210 DMAs across the country. But podcasting is a national medium. I mean, it's a global medium, but nationally, um, advertisers are looking at it as kind of a whole of who are these podcast listeners. Um, so what we've been finding out is that with these families, um, it's just one individual um, – is going to answer, yes, I listen to a podcast, and then we go back and ask them more questions. But we can refer back to even people who don't listen to podcasting and see how different they are. So question I often get is, how different are the podcast listeners versus the non-podcast listeners? And I would say uh, the first thing is that they tend to be younger, so the podcast listener does skew a little bit younger. Um, they are also more affluent, and they are more educated. And that is something that's been around um, for quite a while since we've been measuring this. But what we've seen recently in the last 10 years is that the growth among Hispanic and uh, ethnic groups in podcasting has actually outstripped the non-ethnic group. 
So what that means is that over the last decade, um, the podcast audience, we all know it's been growing like gangbusters, but the Hispanic audience has grown sixfold over that time. It's gone from about a million listeners a month to about 7 million in our estimates. Uh, Hispanic is the largest group, but the black audience has grown 5X. The Asian audience has grown 5X, as well as the other uh, other non-ethnic, I'm sorry, non-white groups um, growing at 5X. The white uh, Caucasian listener has grown 4X over that time. So that shows us that it's the diversity of programming that's pulling in more audiences. It's just more voices that are heard on podcasting, and that's what's bringing in that younger, more ethnic audience. The families that we were talking about earlier, how do you get them to respond to your survey? Are they compensated financially? Yeah, they are all um, asked to uh, fill out this product booklet. They are compensated in a, a variety of ways. Um, so it is something that we've been doing for quite a long time. I, I would think, uh, I think we're going on almost 30 years, uh, in this specific survey. Uh, this is a group of cons- people that opt into, well, that we recruit for our, uh, consumer survey. It's not an opt-in. You know, no one listening to this podcast can, uh, sign up for this survey, we recruit people at random, just like it's jury duty. And it's different than the people that we measure in the Nielsen television homes. Uh, We measure the actual uh, devices in their homes with a meter. Uh, Same thing with our radio panel. We we meter those homes. Um, This is a group of people that we try to get uh, some sense for their consumer behavior. And what form, in what form do they respond to the survey? Is it digital? Is it a printout? Is it by phone? Mm-hmm. Is it online? Yep. We, uh, we recruit them by mail and by telephone. And, uh, we also ask them to either fill out a survey that is, uh, a booklet, a printed booklet that we mail to them and they mail it back to us. Or they have the option of filling out that same booklet online if they prefer to do it. Uh, paperless. So we are we are finding that the younger consumers are more f- comfortable filling out the booklet online, whereas the older consumers are less likely to fill it out online. So we kind of have a two-phased approach to how we gather the data. And are these all English-dominant families? Nope. Uh, we have uh, a, a booklet that is in Spanish uh, that is given to those who opt to, who request to have it in Spanish. Um, we recruit families that are uh, Spanish dominant, English dominant, uh, Hispanics. Um, we have uh, representation so that we want to make sure that, um, you know, if uh, 5% of America is Spanish dominant, we want to make sure that we get 5% of our booklets filled out among Spanish dominant Hispanics. So we make sure that we have a balanced sample, and that's how we're able to get these insights. What about the other groups? For example, you talked about other ethnic groups. Are there other languages for those 200,000 respondents or just Spanish and English? I do think we did experiment one time for, um, uh, I think it was a Chinese um, booklet as well. We just didn't get that many people asking for it, so it was uh, not that common. So right now it is just Spanish and English only. Do you think that the demographics are skewing younger because those financial incentives are of greater interest to the younger consumers and the privacy concerns are less concerning to the younger consumers? Uh, no. I, from what we've seen in our research, people want to have their rep, they want to be represented. And once they understand what we're trying to do, uh, the amount of money we pay them is not enough for them to quit their job. I mean, they'd be lucky to uh, get, you know, a nice meal, you know, with this type of payment. It's not going to be a life-changing amount of money. Um, but what we found is that when we ask respondents, like, you know, like an exit interview, like what drove your you know, decision to participate, um, it was – it's usually a factor of time versus, you know, the purpose – as long as we don't let the survey run too long and ask them a million questions, then we usually get a pretty good response. But what we found is that 
they just want to have their voice heard. They want to represent people like themselves in our research because they know a lot of people look at it. And if they don't make their voice heard, then they know that they're not part of the conversation. So it's really more about uh, the, the answers that they give. They want to make them their their information known. It's really not about the money. Have you looked at the impact or the representation of, for example, introverts versus extroverts? In, now that you've mentioned, for example, that many people are participating because they want to be represented, the segment of the population that doesn't feel that need, how are they represented? Yeah, this is uh, a very introvert-friendly type of survey. It doesn't require them to speak to a human being if they don't want to. Uh, so we could contact someone by mail, and they could fill out the document and mail it back to us and never be in contact uh, with anyone in person or on the phone. So there really is nothing preventing an introvert from uh, being a part of this. Uh, it might be different than other surveys folks have seen if it's a mall intercept where someone comes up to you and says, you know, with a clipboard, hey, can I get your opinion on this? Or uh, political research where they call you and, you know, ask you questions like right before a, a, an election. That's not like this. The, uh, this is uh, meant to be representative and it's meant to be used in uh, Tallahassee as much as it's used in Seattle. So it, it's meant to be um, very broad and cover the whole U.S. equally. So what else have you found out? So there's a lot going on with podcasting. I think um, the questions that we get from clients, um, we don't have answers to all of them yet, but we're getting pretty close. And what we're finding is just some basic things that um, people want to know is, is podcast listening um, increasing and where is it increasing? So we know that there's been a rise from the ethnic groups, but then the, op the next opportunity is um, like the opportunity to listen to podcasting. So right now we know that about 30% of all podcast listeners in the U.S. are tuning in just about every day. So if we look at, you know, if there's a million people who are listening to podcasts, uh, about 300,000 of them are tuning in every day or just about every day. There's another, um, call it about uh, 46%, uh, this is almost half, that are really only tuning in uh, once or twice a month. So that is still a very large portion of people who have not turned podcast listening into a habitual behavior. Just like brushing your teeth might be something you do every day, hopefully more than once a day, um, that is a habitual behavior. Podcasting has gotten that way um, with some people, but not everyone. So what's it going to take to move that group of people from going from a, the occasional listening to a podcast to something that is uh, more of a habitual behavior, like weekly or daily? So the first thing is um, – I would say the technology. So we talked about uh, that they can download a podcast or they can stream it. So streaming is making podcasting a little bit more accessible, but it's not all the way there. I'd say the next thing on the list is like relevant content. You might have one podcast you really like um, on a topic that you're passionate about, but it doesn't get posted on a frequent basis. The host is really just doing it whenever they like it. It's, it's, a, it's a hobby to them. We really like to take podcasting from the hobby into a business and monetize it so that it becomes someone's job to take that insight that they have and make a podcast and do it on a weekly or daily basis so that the people who are their fans can come more into podcasting and enjoy it more frequently. So that's kind of what's, what's – so the content part of it – is exploding. There's, you know, more and more podcasts every day across more and more topics. And we've got a lot of them, people kind of planting their flag in a certain area. But the next phase is doing it consistently, making a business out of it. Um, I'll use Joe Rogan as a great example. I mean, he was a stand-up comic, and now he has become one of the biggest names in podcasting. He has, like, a legitimate uh, – entertainment platform that people go to 
uh, on a frequent basis. So um, that is the type of growth that we'd like to see is that more and more people make a business out of podcasting. What are they listening to you? Would you paint a picture for us? Um, the uh, Some of the most popular uh, genres that are that we're seeing in the data are news and comedy. So every time I pull any sort of re- uh, report, news and comedy podcasts are usually the number one and number two on the list of popularity. And this is across um, different demos, different uh, platforms, uh, different times of the day, different locations. But that's just based on popularity. And that also is a factor of the number of podcasts available in those genres. So there's many of them that fall in in the news genre. Um, The true crime genre, for example, there's not as many. Uh, It's a a hot topic, uh, but there's not as many true crime shows as there are comedy podcasts, for example. So what I have found, though, is that from a concentration perspective, um, certain genres have a little bit more of an appeal to certain groups. So while like news and comedy may be the most popular with the largest audiences, I'll take the Hispanic listener, for example. They are more likely to listen to kids and family podcasts or technology podcasts or music, arts, literature, uh, sorry, leisure. So this is um, areas that they have a, there's a higher concentration of Hispanics in the audience than there are others. So why is that? So, what we've seen with the kids and family genre of podcasts, not a popular podcast, but it's popular with Hispanics. Um, that has about an 80-20 skew toward female listeners, whereas the technology podcast, also popular among Hispanics, that has an 80-20 uh, listenership to men. Uh, it skews male. Those two uh, podcast genres are really popular among that specific group, followed by a lot of other mainstream topics like music, arts, and leisure. There's other groups that are really into um, more of the traditional podcast genres, uh, like history or science or news. Um, so there's going to be different appeal depending on different demographic groups. Who is streaming and who is downloading? I would say um, we are not exactly clear on that. We're looking at it from a a broader perspective of how people are listening. And I would say um, there's still a lot of downloading that happens, but there are uh, other folks that are coming into streaming And what I would say by and large is that the people who are the ones that are the heavy podcast listeners, the ones who've been doing this for years, they could recommend 10 different podcasts that they think you should listen to. Those are the frequent podcast listeners. They're the ones who are still downloading podcasts. That's the way they've always done it. They're creatures of habit. The newer ones, the people who are just coming into podcasting that only listen maybe once or twice a month, they're actually more likely to be the ones streaming. They're, uh, they score higher with uh, listening to YouTube podcasts, you know, podcasts on YouTube, um, whereas the people who are the frequent podcast listeners, they are still more tied to uh, iTunes for their podcasts. So there is still kind of a divide on the platforms depending on the uh, frequency of listening. And that brings me to the next question, which is, what platforms are they using? Are they going directly to the source of the, the podcaster themselves? Are they going through iTunes or Spotify? How are they accessing the podcast? Um, we look at it holistically. So all of those options are where people can get their podcasts. Some podcasts are now starting to become exclusive so that you can only get them on one platform or another. Um, but a lot of the, uh, the measurement we look at is holistic across all platforms. And people are getting their podcasts in different ways, but they don't even know that there's a difference. To the eyes of the consumer, the, the, the broad group of podcast listeners, they honestly don't know whether they're downloading or streaming, so we don't even ask. 
we usually ask about what platform they're on. But um, there's not any, there's not a lot of loyalty among those platforms. So if somebody has to go to one platform to listen to their favorite show, that will create loyalty. But I think some people have just been become accustomed to going to one platform. They'll they'll go out and search out a new podcast if they hear about it on another one, and they'll go to their favorite platform first. That could be YouTube because um, it's it's so broad. From a podcaster perspective, I know that the mantra has usually been, in order to get the biggest audience, you want to be on as many platforms as possible. So if you are an established, like Joe Rogan type of podcast, exclusivity obviously has its its merits. But if you are the hobbyist podcaster, you want to be everywhere. Language, especially, well, since we're only talking about two languages, what percentage of listeners is listening to podcasts in Spanish? Um, we are looking at around, um, I don't have an exact number for you, but uh, we do now track some Spanish language podcasts in our data. Uh, the way it works is uh, different podcast networks can opt in to have their individual podcasts measured, and they will give us a list of shows and there are some networks that do podcast, uh, that produce content in Spanish, um, not English, and they are now showing up in the data. So we are getting enough where we're able to start measuring that. I don't have exact numbers for you, but it is definitely a growing thing. Um, we have another service um, through our GraceNote metadata service, and they track podcast content globally. And they're uh, searching for metadata tags like type of content that a podcast is uh, is about. Um, it powers a recommendation engine that's on a lot of the platforms. It's all kind of behind the scenes. Um, but they track uh, podcasts in all languages. So <clears throat> we're just focused on the U.S., though, But um, for, for this uh, insight service. But I know that it's definitely something that is uh, – there's really no limitation to the limit, the uh, languages that you can have in a podcast. We were talking earlier about how diverse the audience is in your findings, and many of the folks that are listening to podcasts have relatives overseas, be it in Latin America or in Asia, Africa, Europe. Have you seen a percent of the audience listening to content from outside the U.S.? Is, is that even registering? You know, that was an issue a couple of years ago when we were really trying to get a handle on how to measure podcasting. But the more we've spoken to advertisers and the people that have the money to spend in podcasting, their focus is solely on the U.S. Uh, this is where a lot of their interest lies. When it comes to, you know, certain type of content, um, you know, the, the BBC has a very popular podcast that is originates in the U.K., but it, it has listenership here. Um, in our most recent survey, we gave people the opportunity to write in. So we asked them, you know, do you listen to any of these podcasts, uh, Ron Burgundy, Joe Rogan, so on? And we also gave them the option to fill in the blank, like write in a show that you might listen to that was not listed here. And we did see a number of um, people listen to uh, the BBC podcast. So it really does have a global nature. There is nothing stopping you from listening to podcasts from elsewhere. It's just that for the purpose of our research, it's really around advertising. And a lot of the interest is on marketing to U.S. consumers. Well, speaking of advertising, so what percentage of the podcasts that you studied are being monetized? You know, it goes back to the old 80-20 rule of business, and that's probably the easiest way to explain it. Um, you know, 80-20 applies to it could be a coffee shop or it could be a podcast network. Uh, so 80% of the listening comes from 20% of the users, or 80% of the coffee sales comes from 20% of the customers. It's uh, kind of the same thing here. And there's about a dozen different podcast networks that are part of this uh, service. They, they opt in to have their shows measured. And 
the data that I've been talking about is, is broader than that, just that dozen networks. But they seem to be the ones that that really are trying to monetize the audience and try to court the advertisers and bring more of them into podcasting. Um, so really, that 20% of podcast listening uh, is going to represent maybe 80% of the money that's going to come into podcasting. So there's also that other kind of long tail, the other 80% of podcasts that are basically fighting over the other 20% of the money. Uh, a lot of that money is coming in from a programmatic standpoint. The advertising is placed kind of en masse. Uh, it's done, it's it just kind of weaved into uh, shows, and it is done on a programmatic basis where um, a certain uh, advertisement might get slotted into a show rather than, you know, live read by the host. So there are still some differences, but it does kind of fall under that 80-20 rule. In terms of the podcast producers themselves, are you looking mostly at these 12 networks that are representative, let's say, of large companies? Or did you also look at individuals who are producing podcasts that are not part of the networks? And, and what did you find? Yeah, we just, like I said, we... Um, We've just offered the option to write in uh, shows, and we've been looking at that data, and we're seeing a lot of surprises on that list. There's a lot of um, – I'll give you a weird example. I mean, religious podcasts are really popular. I could not believe how many responses we got to very specific religious podcast programs that were written into our service. And – Typically, religious podcasts are not advertiser-driven. They're driven by, you know, churches that want to get a message out, and they're, they're self-funded, um, but they are popular. And we really did not intend to measure them because that's not really what advertisers are asking for. But yet, I was shocked to see how much listening was showing up in some of those areas. Tony, do you think that is specific to the pandemic and all of the mental health and anxiety issues that are prevalent right now, or is this outside of the parameters of the pandemic that you looked at? Yeah, that's. A, I guess that's a, an unknown question because we've. This is only the first time we've had that write-in question, and it was uh, fielded during November. So. Uh, November of last year, you know, we were still kind of in, I think, the third wave or whatever at that point, but um, we were not, it, you know, it wasn't exactly a crisis like it was in April. Um, so I don't know what I, if I would, if we would have had this uh, option to measure the religious podcast earlier, then we would have seen that um, it probably existed before the pandemic and that it's just another way of engaging with religious content outside of uh, in person going to church or uh, on the television. So, again, it, it follows the same playbook all the other types of content has, which is why not make a podcast out of it? Did you gain any insights as to who the predominant advertisers are? Um, we don't track who those advertisers are. But like I said, what we're seeing um, is a lot more brands getting involved in podcasting. So, it early early on, it was direct response advertisers, like dot-com type of businesses, to now a whole variety of podcast ads that um, you're going to hear in podcasts. I heard one for Aquafina not that long ago. Um, you cannot you, – you don't typically buy bottled water by going to the Aquafina website. <laughs> you would go to a store and buy it. So it's really a different mindset. So um, – I think Microsoft has been running a lot of ads. Um, yeah, so beverages, um, tech, uh, a lot of CPG brands, consumer packaged goods like uh, frozen pizzas or razors, uh, Band-Aids. You know, it's, it's just becoming a lot more diverse, um, just like the content is. Do you think that's related to the changes in shopping behavior driven by the pandemic, the number of people who are now shopping online more than they did before or some which didn't shop online before, including for things, for example, like Aquafina? Um, well, what we can – I think both of these two topics are on the same growth trajectory, 
and I just did a presentation about this last year, which is the uh, like the online grocery shopper. That is something that has been climbing year after year, but it really got kicked into high gear during the pandemic. It forced more people to try it for the first time, and hopefully it'll stick with some of them. And the same thing is happening with podcasting. It's took a little bit of a dive during uh, the onset of the pandemic because it changed people's behavior patterns, but it also changed them in a good way where it got some people to uh, take a look at podcasting for the first time, and that could lead to a lot more new listeners um, who are coming into it for the first time. Like I said, that's still a very big group of people who are not habitual listeners, the ones that listen maybe once or twice a month. Um, we've got, we got them. They've, they're coming to podcasting. Now the challenge is to keep them hooked and keep them listening more frequently. Let's talk about the listeners a little bit more. So based on the size of the group that you are surveying, what can you extrapolate in terms of the general population and the number of people who are actually listening to podcasts, be it light or heavy listeners? You know, we really have been focusing on um, just the broader audience and understanding who these people are. Uh, we're really working on a true measurement service like we have for television and radio that really is a more accurate measure of how many people are listening and how long they listen. Those are two things that are still a little bit challenging to us. Um, this is a work in progress. We are be developing better tools for uh, people to understand the size of the podcasting audience and how much listening is going to even a specific episode. We're not at that met level yet. We're kind of wrapping our arms around all of podcasting to get a sense for who these people are. Um, but we really don't have, you know, the, the currency grade metrics that we'd like in order to answer that question. But when we do, I'll come back on and uh, answer that question for you on a future podcast. Are people listening to a single podcast show on a recurring basis? As you were saying earlier, that they're listening, some of them two or three times a month, and some of them daily. Are they listening to a diversity of programs from different sources? What did you find? We did – if we focus in on the people that um, listen to podcasts uh, on a weekly basis, okay, so this is people that are habitual podcast listeners, we ask them, how many podcasts do you listen to in an average week? And 75% of them said they listen to more than one podcast. So it's not just about finding your favorite podcast – it's that you're using podcasting as a form of entertainment. Just like if I asked you about television, you probably watch more than one television program. Uh, there's probably a variety of them. And we just need to get more people, you know, using podcasting in that way. So I'll tell you that uh, I would say about 15% uh, of the people that are um, weekly listeners to podcasts are listening to 10 or more episodes a week. Uh, so even if it's a daily podcast that only comes out, you know, on a, a Monday through Friday basis, people are, they're still, 15% of the people are doing that more than, you know, double. So, I mean, there, there are people who are doing it on a very frequent basis. Um, we would just like to be able to know, you know, which ones they're listening to and how frequently so we can get a better sense of that on a per show basis. But right now we're looking at it across more, um, more holistically. The duration of the podcasts, what would you say the, the average podcast, this group that you've described to us, it's listening, for example, to 10 podca podcasts a week. Is this a five minute podcast, a 30 minute podcast? What are we talking about? Yeah, it's a good question. So it's easier to consume lots of podcasts if they're shorter in length. Um, there are some podcasts that are kind of sub-10 minutes, and that could make up a portion of this listening, just a quick news update or an opinion. Um, by and large, I think 30 minutes, uh, 30 to 40 minutes is usually the typical podcast length. So that's what's going to make up kind of the larger part of the bell curve. But then you've got some on the other end of the spectrum that just really go long and deep, and they are an hour plus. Um, that is still considered a podcast. Uh, so 
there really is no, um, you know, set parameter for what that is. Uh, but we know that people's time is precious and you want to make uh, the most of it. And clearly podcast content that people can't get anywhere else, they're willing to go beyond 30, 40 minutes if the topic is of interest to them. So there really is no upper limit to that uh, as long as the content's good. And based on your findings in the report, you're looking at, let me see here, 22 million light podcast listeners with a median annual household income of 80,000. And then 14 million heavy podcast listeners with a median income of 88,000. So the heavy listeners have a higher median income. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Um, What we found is uh, median household income is really important to some advertisers. Um, If it's for a certain product uh, that is for a certain, you know, that only a certain person can afford or have a need for. It could be an investment product. It could be housing. It could be uh, a Cadillac. Who knows if it's high end. And then there's other ones that uh, cater to a broader audience. It could be a beverage brand that doesn't really care for a premium high income household. So um, what we found is that <clears throat> based on the different genres, um, the kids and family podcast genre has the lowest household income of all the 18 different genres that we measure. And the highest is the technology podcast listener. So what that means is that there's kind of something for everyone. When we look at how much money people make, it doesn't really have a bearing on whether they can listen to a podcast. It's very broad, but from an advertiser perspective, it gives them a sense for, where their money might be better spent if they if that is a criteria that they are uh, shooting for. What can you tell us about age? Can you give us some more insights in relation to age? For example, you were talking about technology versus lifestyle and kids and their income, but also I'm assuming that the technology group skewed young, for example? Yeah, as a matter of fact, uh, we do report, you know, median age. Um, Uh, of adults 18 plus that listen to different types of genres of podcasts. Uh, So the median age for all podcasts listening is 38 years old. Okay, so that means that half of the people that listen to podcasting are older than 38, and the other half are younger than 38. So it's the median age. Um, The news genre has the oldest skewing audience at a median age of 40. So it's only like two years older than the average, which isn't a lot, but I'm just letting you know that that's the audience that does skew older, whereas the true crime podcast genre has the youngest, youngest median age at 35. So it's only three years younger than the median uh, as an average. So the true crime podcast is something that's unique to podcasting. It is um, just something that, you know, you don't see elsewhere and it is attracting a young audience. So, again, it goes back to the idea that the content that is found on podcasting is appealing to new audiences. What do you think you can predict, if anything, in the middle of the changes that we're going through nationwide in terms of these, the, this picture in time that you have and where it might be going, podcast consumption going to increase tenfold, what do you think we might be reasonable to expect? Well, I will say that I'm reluctant to make predictions because I like to let the data that we gather speak for itself. And I think everybody would feel more comfortable with that data instead of just my own predictions. But what I have seen is that technology is going to enable a lot of opportunities for podcasting. And what we've been tracking the last couple of years – during kind of the last 10 years, I would say, of podcasting's growth, that's been driven largely by the smartphone. So we know that the podcasting medium started out on the iPod, but the mobile phone, the the smartphone, has taken podcasting to a whole nother audience. Uh, So technology kind of took it from, you know, purely downloaded into, you know, streamed live on a smartphone 
and it allows people that, you know, they can take it with them. So the next phase of growth for podcasting could very well be with the smart speaker. It's still early days with smart speaker penetration. I think maybe one in five households has one. Um, estimates vary, but it's still not in a majority of households yet. And if it is, it's really easy to consume a podcast um, just like any other form of uh, audio content. And it makes it even easier. Uh, you don't have to subscribe. You can literally just tell Alexa to play your favorite podcast. Um, so technology is probably going to lead it, uh, you know, represent that next phase of growth for podcasting. How are your survey respondents finding their podcasts? So we know that they, some of them listen to podcasts regularly and that some of them are heavy listeners, but how are they finding content? Well, um, believe it or not, word of mouth is the most common way that people are hearing about podcasts. Just like if you talk to a friend of yours and they say, oh, have you listened to this podcast? That's usually how most people hear about it. Uh, or they'll say, I heard something in this crazy podcast. It was so amazing. I got to tell you about it. it. That's word of mouth, and it's happening more than anything. But if you are a frequent podcast listener, um, you know, cross-promotion on podcasts is another way that people get uh, exposed to new content. Um, uh, drawing a blank on his name, but um, Rob Lowe, uh, he just launched a new podcast uh, recently, so uh, he is taking, you know, his name from TV and movies and, you know, putting it into podcasting. And that's drawing in a whole other group of people uh, into the medium that follow him from TVs and movies. Um, so there's word of mouth and then there's cross promotion. So how did uh, how did um, Rob Lowe make that switch? Well, he was a guest on many people's podcasts. And eventually, it started to make sense that this guy could probably have his own show, and that's exactly what happened. What is the Podcast Buying Power Survey? Yep, that's the source for all the data that I've been talking about today. Uh, it's a survey that we do twice a year, and it's kind of a deep dive on podcast listening among the Nielsen families in the U.S., um, so for right, uh, for right now, we're making the report available for free on our website. So anybody that wants to know more can grab a copy for free right now. Um, well, this says if you're interested in including your show or network in the service, the deadline to submit new entries, and it's already passed, uh, but I'm oh. wondering, we're talking about the same thing. Yeah, so uh, September 1st uh, of this year is the deadline before we field our next survey in October. Um, so we have just done a survey uh, that will be coming out on May 15th uh, with new data that was collected during the month of March. Um, and that survey is going to give us uh, another look at how uh, podcasting is kind of evolving from its kind of in its in the new post-pandemic world that I hope we're all in soon. What do you think are the the growth? What what do you think is the growth potential? This it sounds very promising based on our discussion. What do you think is the growth potential, both on the side of listeners, because of course that means increased content availability, and also on the side of businesses who are looking for advertising opportunities. Um, I think with all things, the growth is just going to come from – as the medium matures, it's going to become more complex. <laughs> just like a, a, you know, a toddler turning into a teenager, things just become more complex. Um, so I think with podcasting, uh, there's going to be more and more demands from advertisers for more granularity, more metrics, uh, more transparency. Um, we're working on that at Nielsen. From a listener perspective, um, they're, they're, they want more. Um, they love their podcast hosts so much. Like they're even coming to see them in like live performances. This was happening before the pandemic. Uh, I think I was at a, a concert venue and I happened to see, I was there for live music, but I saw the next night it was a podcast host that was doing a live show from the same theater. So 
that is another example of kind of podcasting kind of breaking out of the rules. Um, the fact that they could actually draw a paying crowd uh, in person for their podcast, a medium that is, has already has global reach, they're taking it local. So there's still a, a lot of new opportunities for podcasting we probably haven't even thought of. Sort of the think global, act local uh, format. <laughs> exactly. Now, is that because many of the podcasters are people who are already well-known, as you were using Rob Lowe as an example, and so they're just changing platform and changing format, or are there – let's say, lesser-known podcasters that have grown in the medium? Um, I guess it's coming from all angles. Um, what I think you'll find is that if somebody is coming from their their basement or their garage and they're doing a podcast, you know, they're kind of working their way up. And their challenges are with regard to marketing. How can they expose more people to their show? It's not about the quality of the content. They're able to deliver that. They're always looking for new ways to expose people to their shows. And one of the most common ways to do that is through cross-promotion, of inviting someone to be on your show and then you get to be a guest on their show. But then the other side of it is the celebrities. And some of them are coming from TV and film, and they're coming into podcasting. And what some of them are finding is that you don't have to talk in sound bites when it's a podcast. When you are going to do a segment on the news or you have a line in a movie, you know, you really only have a minute or two to <laughs> develop a thought. But in podcasting, you can really take your time and have a dialogue and, you know, explore a topic, you know, <laughs> for 10 minutes. It's probably a luxury you wouldn't get in, in broadcast. I thought I saw somewhere that some of the platforms that are facilitating access, such as iTunes, Spotify, and the like, that they were looking for ways to monetize the podcast content. Have you heard about that? Is that? Does that mean that they're going to be placing ads in somebody else's podcast? How does that work? I don't know. You didn't have to speak to them directly, but I do know that um, it is definitely an opportunity to uh, – everyone's looking at new ways to monetize these audiences, and it's the advertisers that are uh, – they're definitely on board. Uh, there's really not uh, a lot of advertisers I speak to that need to be convinced that podcasting is something they should be interested in. They're already interested. So it's really about the exploration and the different ideas that people are having with creative ways to monetize those audiences. And some of those platforms are uh, they're right where the rubber meets the road. So they've got new ideas. And I think we're going to just continue to hear about more of them um, and new ones every day. You talked about cross-promotion and how people find the podcasts. Did you see any link or any connection between the podcasts and social media outside of, of course, YouTube, which in some cases is where the podcast can be found. Yeah, social media is an excellent way uh, to introduce people to uh, new podcasts. It's uh, one of those stronger ways that people are, are, are discovering new podcasts, um, but it does come down to monetization. So, it's hard for podcast content to quote unquote go viral on social media. It's not it, it's not consumed in that same fashion. You'd have to cut a, a clip of the show and post it. Oftentimes, it's non-visual. So, uh, I would say that <clears throat> paid social media is a very effective way of doing a podcast promotion. But it's the chicken or the egg. You kind of need a monetized audience before you can pay for advertising for the show. So it's going to grow in fits and starts. And the word I haven't heard today is influencers. Ah. Well, I guess I would say it's assumed that a podcaster is already an influencer. From what we see from the advertising scores, uh, the halo effect that these podcast hosts have when they read the advertiser's copy uh, is tremendous, and you would consider that uh, 
the effect that an influencer would have on a brand. Um, it's something that we can track. Uh, we can measure it for advertisers. And it's something that we've done quite a bit uh, over the last couple of years. And that's partly leading to why so many brands are, are getting involved in podcasting. It's just maybe the term influencer is uh, maybe overused. <laughs> so it's probably why I haven't used it. So it's waning. The term is waning, but not the concept. Uh, the term may not be waning. It's just sometimes it has a negative connotation. Now, today we have been discussing the February 2021 Podcasting Today Insights for Podcast Advertisers report from Nielsen. And I think I heard you say earlier that that is available free of charge. Is that right? That's right. Uh, Anybody can grab a copy of it. It is available at Nielsen.com. That's N-I-E-L-S-E-N.com. Just search for podcasting today, and there's a lovely 18-page report with your name on it, ready and waiting. And for listeners who want further insights on the state of podcasts today, are there any other sources of information that you can suggest, any books or any other? Yeah, this is uh, just a drop in the bucket compared to the uh, amount of data that we collect um, around the podcast consumers in this country. Reach out to your Nielsen rep if you are interested in learning more. Um, we can tailor these solutions to uh, all types of brands, podcasts. Uh, we can answer a lot of different questions that people are having around podcasting from a, a U.S.-based perspective. Uh, so reach out to us if you'd like more information. Tony, thank you for joining us from Colorado Springs, Colorado. Thanks so much. And to our audience, you have been listening to Tony Haro, who is Vice President of Cross-Platform Insights at Nielsen, who discussed podcast insights. To propose a guest for the show, you can email me directly at editor at hispanicmpr.com. That's editor at hispanicmpr.com.